Welcome to the GT Reboot. The popular gaming forum NeoGAF went dark this weekend in the wake of sexual harassment allegations directed at the site's owner, Tyler Malka. Mike Pierce and I discussed this and other stories, including Mass Effect 3 and the passing of a beloved voice actor. Also, Gaming Trends lead editor Kate Purcell is here to talk to me about Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, Nintendo's next free-to-play mobile game. Let's boot up! What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Mike Pierce, and I am joined this week by a new guest on the show. That is fellow editor, Mr. Joe DeClara. Joe, thanks for coming on the show, my show. Mike, I'm so glad to be here, but you're, you're a fool. I've already been on your show several times. We've actually been doing this for an entire year. I come on your show, and then you come on to my show. It's been a whole process. I can't believe you've actually forgotten. Forgotten? Forgotten what? I, I haven't forgotten anything. Well, you said a new guest on your show, and I'm like, this is this is absurd. I am not a new guest. I am a returning regular guest on your show. Oh well, you know, I mean, it's all semantics. Don't don't worry about it. Okay. You're, you're you know, you're new one week. You're returning the other week. You're from Brooklyn one week. You're from Queens the other right. week. Right. Details just, just really just yeah. aren't important on the show. It's all just no, random. They're not. So yeah. yeah, you just need to take it as it comes, Joe. Just you know, roll with the punches. Okay. All right. I could do that. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, first bit of news this week is actually a bit of a downer, especially for anyone who's a Half-Life fan, whether it was uh, Half-Life 1 or 2 or the potential for 3. Um, a man named... Oh, man, uh, damn, you even Guillaume. told me how to pronounce it and I forgot. It's Guillaume. Robert Guillaume. Yeah. It's a French last name, so it's one of those extra tricky ones to pronounce. But he was actually the voice actor for the scientist character in Half-Life 2, Eli Vance. And he also happened to be, anecdotally, the voice actor for Rafiki in Lion King, just in case <laughs> you wanted to know that. But um, That anyway, is the one that raised my eyebrows. You know, Every time <laughs> a, a voice actor either dies or like, makes headlines, uh, it's often that voice actors are kind of, you know, they're, they're hidden amongst the stars and the big budget names and uh they're always in places like whenever you see them in a story whether it be an unfortunate one like this or uh some other kind of story you're always like oh he's him i didn't realize and he's this other guy too that's wild so yeah i never even would have guessed that rafiki was also in this childhood show was also the same voice as this scientist in this hyper violent excellent video game from yeah, I know. It's, it's especially weird for me, you know, because uh, I never, I mean, I know Eli Vance, but Rafiki, I only have sort of fleeting memories of, but I remember the Lion King well, and uh, it's just weird to think, I mean, what totally contrasting types of roles in movies, I mean, and the voices for those two characters were totally different, but I guess that's what being a, a voice actor is all about, you know, about having that range of uh, of acting ability, so... Um, well, anyway, I don't think I've actually said it yet, but now that we've talked about it, but uh, anyway, the, the man who played both of these iconic characters, Robert Guillaume, has passed away just recently uh, at the age of 89. And I, I'm, I, I'm looking at the article right now, and I'm not sure when this picture was taken, but I'll tell you right now, he looks damn good for like in the 80s or late 80s. He does not look even close to that age. If this, I mean, and this does look like a relatively modern picture. So, damn, that guy. I mean, it's sad that he passed at eighty nine, but wow, he aged well. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's just it's and it's also this this whole thing is kind of another blow for um, the people who were hoping for Half Life Three, which of course a couple was it what was it a month two months ago was dealt perhaps the biggest and perhaps also the final blow of all time when the writer for the Half-Life series sort of cryptically released essentially the entire storyline for Half-Life 3 while changing the names of the characters. So this is just yet another sort of a, you know, kick everyone while they're down kind of a thing and make them sad that this guy's passing. 
It's so. more like it's not even a factor of uh, Half Life not happening to be it, not to be Chris like you know. But if if Half Life Three were going to happen, it would happen without any of the voice actors, right? They would they would replace everyone if they had to, uh, because it would mean money, right? But that's that's the crass nature of Hollywood and video game publishing and what have you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but it what's, would still go forward. What's sad is like just while it never. In a world where it never happened, and most likely Cover Your Ears Mike will never happen, it's <laughs> sad watching it become more and more of a past that is now just gone, right? That the folks at Valve are gone, that worked on Half-Life 2 and would have worked on Half-Life 3, the writer's gone, and he released this story that, uh, the synopsis that went through what would have happened in Half-Life 3, and uh, then... Uh, voice actors passing away or moving on to other things it's sad to see half-life the possibility of half-life 2 just dissipate not the possibility but just the memory of it being a possibility yeah, <laughs> dissipate yeah, it is. the time it's, and i don't know i mean other than the writer and this voice actor i don't know who has left valve since half-life 2 and it's uh and it's um two little expansions what were they called episode one and two yep i believe um i don't know who from those original projects is still at valve but i get the feeling and this is just me i get the feeling that there's been that a lot of people have moved on since then so yeah i i, I know what you mean it seems it feels like valve is a completely different company and in a lot of ways they are mm. um and not only that but it just feels like a lot of the people who were there creating these iconic games are are gone and it certainly seems like the drive to create a new one of these games is gone because we would probably have it by now if there was drive to create I mean the, the one free. the one hope that is left is the head honcho Gabe Newell is still there right and he, from what I understand, had something to do with Half-Life, right? He, he became less involved in some of Valve's later games, like Portal. He wasn't as involved in by his own admittance. But, I mean, Half-Life, I assume it's his baby. So he is the last, like, stitch of hope that people can latch onto. But at this point, there's no hope to be had, as far as I can tell. And yeah. uh, now yeah. we're getting into the era where it used to be oh, Half-Life 3, could it be a thing? Will it happen? Hopefully it does. To now it's becoming, oh, Half-Life 3, remember that thing that we all rumored to happen, but it never did happen? Yeah, it's definitely moved more into the sort of mourning phase, yes. if you will, like mourning the passing of not just this guy, but also Half-Life 3, the possibility of Half-Life 3 itself. It seems sure. it's far more a certainty than it ever was at any point before that we will just never see it. Mm. And... Um, I don't know. I feel like even though I'm just going to continue to hope for it, it'd just be easier to just to just admit that it'll never happen so that I won't be constantly disappointed. Would be. Would but, be. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, you know, best wishes to his family. I'm not sure uh, if he left anyone behind. I haven't been able to, to find out if he left the... Uh, oh, no, wait, no, here it is. He survived by... His second wife, a son, and three daughters. So oh, yeah, that is actually quite sad. He left behind a spouse and four kids. Um, well, kids, they like might he, be they might be all grown up by now. Uh, but oh, I'm sure they are at 89. Yeah, they're probably sure. twice your your age and my age, but yeah. still. So best wishes to the family and uh, rest in peace to Mr. Robert Guillaume. Thank you for your wonderful voice acting of Half Life's Eli Vance. And with that, we'll move to another pretty dark story, I think, for the most part. But uh, to be fair, it is a very grand tale, as you so eloquently put it a few minutes ago, a grand tale of he said, she said. And um, it all began with there was a there was a hashtag for sexual harassment that was spreading around twitter in the last couple of weeks i think it was just hashtag me too isn't that correct yeah it was so this is regarding the neo gaff going dark yeah, on gonna, the weekend story but yeah it, 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 it that, did stem yeah. from uh harvey weinstein uh yeah it is sometime during this during the the sort of the prevalence of this hashtag and i, th I think it's still a lot of people are still coming out and, and talking about things but um a lady by the name of, and this is another tough to pronounce name, um, 
Ema Loop or Luoip. I'm not sure, but um, she's a she's a filmmaker. And um, anyway, she shared her own personal story of sexual harassment with this Me Too hashtag, and uh, sort of one thing led to another. And it turned out that the person that she was accusing of sexually harassing her was actually the uh, the founder of NeoGAF. And so that then completely blew up and the users of NeoGAF. Um, I, sh- I should also back up too. if you don't know what NeoGAF is, it's a very influential, very well-known uh, gaming forum. And it's actually a, a split off of an old 90s gaming forum called Gaming Age. But that's a... Uh, Probably most of our listeners are too old for that anyway, or too young for that. Yeah, yeah, that's a 90s game, uh, game uh, site. I yeah. yeah. You're, do you remember that one? I only ever remember it through stories of other writers having worked on it. Like, say, uh, Patrick Klepik was an editor on that site. Uh, the only site I really have a mem- memory of actually visiting back in the day was IGN, but back then it was called, I think, N64.com. So that's the only 90s oh video God, game I site I one. recall ever visiting. So no, <laughs> don't remember from the, personal experience. The, the Forums were so huge in the 90s, and then they just they just kept steadily declining. Same with Gaming Trends Forum, too. We used to have a pretty, uh, a pretty well- well-trafficked forum and it's really kind of dropped off it's still there but um no there's a lot of great people still working on the forum and we've actually re re, uh formatted and relaunched the forum recently and it's very active and people should definitely check out the gaming trend forums uh for certain (laughs) so mike is a liar he's he's actually outrageously insane you should definitely check out the forums plenty of good people hey i didn't say it wasn't doing well i just said it i know i mean i've even heard it from ron before he said that uh it used to be much more heavily trafficked back well, sure, in the day. Just like, that's just course, a, right. a wider, no, no, you know, no, that's no, just I, sort of a I, wider I trend across the internet. Yeah, so. of course. Forums are generally not like the place to go. But I mean, NeoGAF definitely was one of those anomalous forums. Uh, not nearly as popular as, say, forums were back in the 90s or early 2000s. But I mean, this was easily the most influential forum focused on gaming. And it is a place where a lot of folks, whether they be consumers of games and fans of games or critics of games like you and myself and uh, actual game developers uh, and publishers and all sorts of people would get together and talk about games and comment on games. A lot of times stories would leak on NeoGAF first. That would be one of the first places. And if a story did leak somewhere else, NeoGAF quickly had it posted just like everywhere else. But NeoGAF was definitely the uh, melting pot of the games industry, as uh, someone called it, and I think that's definitely true. They are still quite influential as well, to be fair. Well, the thing is, as the story tells, the site went down for a whole right. Yeah, weekend. I was gonna, I was gonna get to that. Yeah. So essentially, what happened is when this lady Ema, I still don't know how to pronounce it, Ema Lloyd going with Leo, but sure. Okay, Leah, sure. Uh, she posted this story, and the the story basically goes that. Her and uh, the founder, whose last name is Malka. I can't remember his first name. Tyler Malka. Tyler, yeah. Tyler Malka. Her and Tyler uh, Malka were in New Orleans, and it sounds like they were sharing a hotel room, and they both got pretty hammered, and she started getting sick, uh, and she was throwing up, and she decided to go into the shower to make herself feel better. I think everyone can kind of understand that. I've been drunk and done that before. And, you know, you just feel terrible when you're puking and then you feel any, anytime you throw up, you just feel kind of nasty. Um, so anyway, Mm -hmm. she was in the shower and according to her, basically Tyler just came right up behind her uninvited, completely naked in the shower. Um, and, you know, she basically told him to get the hell away, and she did have a boyfriend at the time, too. So, anyway, that kind of spiraled out of control, and everyone found out about it on NeoGAF, and a bunch of moderators quit, a bunch of users quit, and asked to be permabanned. And the site was actually taken down, basically, while Tyler Malka was sort of, we don't know, but presumably formulating his response. Um, and, and a lot of people kind of called him quite cowardly for doing that because it did seem a little bit like 
um, running from the truth in a way or hiding or something. And we, we don't know what the actual truth is here, but it sure as per exactly the internet, everyone when, was very angry with the person and right. they, uh, they sent him their ire via posts and tweets and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. And then anyway, the site went back up after a couple days and Molka posted, uh, basically his response to the whole thing in which he, essentially denies the whole thing and said that it was actually consensual. Um, so, and I mean, there's, there's not, I highly doubt there's going to be any proof either way because it was just two people in a hotel room and it was years ago. So it's very much going to be a forever, uh, he said, she said sort of a thing. Yeah. But, so uh, it, it comes off as an unfortunate, a very personal stories that we're now all discussing on the internet, which is needless, right? We're, but uh, moreover, the nature of the sexual misconduct, and it's hard to discuss things like that when you're upset that someone in power is, uh, you has, it's in some way associated with a story like this, whether it be true or not. Uh, people are going to be upset. They're going to be concerned. Uh, but also the story has to do with personal issues. So it's hard to go over these things and discuss these things because in one way people will feel like, oh, it's none of our business. But in another way, it's like, well, we can't support someone who allegedly has uh, sexually assaulted someone. Like this was an allegation of sexual harassment, uh, the way it was uh, purported. However, one of the things that's important to note is that I didn't find this out until far much later after the story had been out and been spun out and the site had been down and, of course, everyone was all up in arms over this. Uh, Leop, the alleger, was not interested in posting this story publicly. She allegedly right. was speaking with friends in a chat room or in posts or what have you. And she had said, like, I don't want to out him because he's a semi-famous person and I wouldn't be able to compete with that. And for various reasons, she said she didn't want to. Eventually, she gave and, and spoke out and said who it was. And now it's spun out and her friends apparently have screen grabbed the story and have reposted it. And that is very unfortunate. Like, you shouldn't... I, I implore anyone who feels that they have been wronged and have been harassed and feel that they can't don't have a voice and can't speak out about something that in a way that they've been wronged especially if you're a woman who has been sexually harassed and feel like you don't have a place to say something we i think that we can all rally together and say it is a, a good time right now to come out and it should be a good time anytime to come out and say so and have your voice heard However, if you didn't want to say anything and you say so to your friends, then your friends should not screen grab your confession and then share it all over the internet, right? That is not good. So that's where we come across this story now that, and then Malka retaliating with uh, condemnations of her being imbalanced or being uh, ingenuine and try well, and an opportunist. Like it, it goes back and forth. Like there, yeah. So this story that Patrick Klepek posted is a constant back and forth contentious story of he said this, then she said this, then he says that she was imbalanced and she says that he was a womanizer. And now it has spun out and it's out in the open and it's very dirty and very uh, uncomfortable for everyone. And in general, it's there's nothing that can be proven here. There's nothing that can be done aside from more people coming forward and corroborating one or the other story. So at the very end of the day, I think it's unfortunate that this story was taken either out of context or just were was published without the consent of Leap. Well, and she she straight she straight up said too that she never intended to out him publicly. In fact, here's a here's a quote. I never meant to out him publicly. I never meant to have any of this happen. It was a story that had come up instead of just reposting a hashtag. I thought if I described some more of the details of certain situations that it would become more real for friends in my life. So like you said, she never intended for this to come out, but her friends saw fit to change that for whatever reason. Um, and and it, like you said, it's gone back and forth. Um, there, It's been pointed out by Malka that at the time when this accusation happened, she was supposedly polyamorous, but only with women. 
uh, even right. So she did yeah, again, like and, now, and now like, we're getting into very personal things that like they're using, they're weaponizing knowledge of each other's personal lives on the internet. And I'm not saying that's not what should happen afterwards, but the fact is this whole ball started rolling because someone, a third party in this whole equation who layup was apparently confessing to took it upon themselves to air this dirty laundry for these two people. That I think is wrong. I think that it Leop has every right to come forward and say like, I have been sexually harassed and I need to get it off my chest. And I think that's her right. And she should do that if she feels inclined and if she feels like she has been wronged, but I mean, for someone else to push that envelope for her, that's wrong. I think. So, and that's where, why we're here, to be honest, unless, uh, unless someone's lying, which I doubt. So, well, and I was, I was going to keep going there. Um, oh, sorry. Was, yeah, it's, that's okay. I'm used to it, Joe. That's how you, that's how you roll, uh, man. Okay. I know. Um, but, uh, so it, it, it's, it's crazy. So then there was the polyamorous thing and then it, it comes out that post this accusation, they did actually have consensual sex at one point. And then there's just all this crazy back and forth because then uh, there's also been uh, another accusation of Malka um, and sexual misconduct. And he actually he was the one who actually posted it. Basically, he uh, posted or he he admitted that he touched a girl's ass in Spain at a party. And here's actually the quote at one point. In a bar, a girl who didn't speak any English came up to me and started flirting heavily, then went straight into asking me to buy her a drink. Um, and someone translated this for him, which would explain how she was able to get him to <laughs> buy her a drink without speaking any English. But anyway, he said, I laughed because drinks here were all of two euros, but consented and then grabbed her ass to show that I wasn't even being taken advantage of. And she thought better of treating me as a mark and left without taking her a drink. So he's basically claiming that he grabbed her ass so that she couldn't take advantage of him buying her a drink, essentially. Mm. So I, I don't know what to make of this whole story anymore, but it really has to sort of it's gone beyond. He said he said she said now it's sort of like. He said, she said, and now they're just trading barbs back and forth, it seems like. You know, oh, well, you did this. Oh, well, you did that. Oh, well. Well, that know, is the definition like, of he said, she said, right? Like, now we're at the point where they, like I said, are just weaponizing personal right. knowledge of each other uh, yeah. in a publicized feud, right? And uh, look, I... I don't look down on that, you know. I don't I'm not I don't mean to disparage that or disparage these people. We've all we all have stories with people. Uh maybe hopefully not sexual harassment stories with people, right? We don't hopefully don't have any of those and uh but we all have stories of say getting drunk or say uh relationships and those things, you know, some of them have a place in the workplace if especially if they uh, verge on if they happen in the workplace and if they verge on the lines of sexual harassment or even under that, you know, that that has a place to be spoken about, too. But when it comes right. to this, like it, it's up to those people to bring them up. You know, now what we have here is NeoGAF is in trouble, right? NeoGAF was shut down over the weekend. People came back on. It's now having sort of a relaunch. And then half of its moderators, from what we can tell, have left. Uh, definitely a good number of them have left as, as uh, admitted by Malka in his statement after the weekend and he uh and now this this site which i think is a great site by the way i i loved neogaf for a long time not for malka not specifically him like i i never even read any of his posts specifically i know that he is a uh well-liked person by some and a very not liked person by many but uh i don't know what for you know i never even paid him any mind really i just used neogaf as the tool that it was and it's a great site. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't, like, you know, women should keep their mouths shut or some kind of misogynistic bullshit like that, right? Like, it's because I want to use my NeoGAF. Uh, but that is definitely something you're seeing on, on NeoGAF. You're also mostly seeing contention against Malka. But generally, what I think is people sh who aren't involved shouldn't speak out because now 
Leop, what? What happens if Leop is now concerned about leaving her house? You know, now she doesn't feel comfortable. What if she didn't want to, it out at all because she wasn't sure how she felt about it, right? Like, it, there could be a numerous number of reasons why she didn't share it besides her not feeling safe doing so. If she didn't feel safe doing so, I wish she had. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing at their intentions here, but... I'm assuming that they had sort of the best of intentions in terms of they were probably thinking like, oh, it'll be better for you in the end. If you go public with it, you'll feel better. And, you know, maybe he'll sort of get what he deserves and justice will be served kind of a thing. And we shouldn't let him get away with it and things like that. I mean, I'm sure that they were, I, at least I would hope that the friends were acting with, with the best intentions. Sure. In mind, yeah. I don't think clear, it's malicious. Yeah. It's clear that, no matter what their reasons for doing it, they did not consider the consequences. And, um, and it's, it is sad that if she feels like she can't leave her own house now. Um, but I don't know what the solution is. I'm, I'm kind of torn on the whole thing because I think on the one hand, it's good that, that it was publicized and that we sort of, have an idea of who this person may may actually be well do we um, i mean we now now it's just a b constant back and forth where two adults are accusing each other of being opportunists of being I know, I, misogynistic I or not i didn't say i didn't say we do i said we may have an idea of who he is and uh, like i said i don't i don't know i i, I said i'm torn on the whole thing and, and sure. i stand by that because on the one hand i think it's it's good that these sort of things come out, but uh, also like in this case, we don't really know if it's true. So if it turns out that it's not actually true, which of course we'll never know the answer to, but if it turns out that it's not true, then, you know, Travis Malka has been wrongfully accused and he's gone through a whole bunch of crap. Uh, and you know, Neo Gaff has probably taken a pretty big hit, certainly in reputation. And then not only that, but the, the woman who, you know, accused him would then be, um, she's been going through this period of feeling unsafe and not being able to work and probably tons of other harassment as well. I would imagine. Yeah. She's been know, enduring all that for that's, nothing as that's well. That's the worst of it really. And right. Like, I so mean, Neil Gaff goes down and never comes back again. That kind of sucks, but like, I'm sure the mods will be fine. I'm sure we'll all be fucking fine. But you know, this, uh, woman had her word taken and posted on the internet without her consent i mean i that's what i'm getting at least from this right like i hope that's i uh, i'm not missing no, i'm getting the same that. thing but yeah like, it yeah. looks like yeah it looks like she didn't mean for any of this to come out it looks like she just meant to sort of have a personal conversation with her friends um and that was about it, sort of a thing. And it, hurt. it sounds like her friends took it yeah, much, much further than that. It's one thing to feel like you're, um, to feel threatened and to be f fearful for your own safety or for your own dignity. You know, that's the thing too. Uh, when you speak out about something, right? That is an unfortunate factor that women in 2017 have to deal with on in this culture or in any culture and in America, to be honest, and that's unfortunate fact, but it's another thing to even not have having wanted to bring that attention to yourself and have it thrust upon you unwillingly, you know, that's even worse. So, uh, yeah. I feel, I feel for her in general. And with this, he said, she said feud that's going on. I'm, I, you know, I, I kind of keep myself away from it if I can, because, Honestly, now it's come to a point where, okay, I don't know which is true. And unless we see some real corroboration and probably we'll see something if, if we see something, it'll probably be, uh, well, you know, no. So Leop is also a formidable figure in the film industry, apparently. So now we're going to see maybe stories that corroborate either one's allegations of their, you know, their nature. But I mean, that's. That's neither here nor there, you know, like the, at this point, it's just unfortunate that this whole thing happened at all. Like, this is ridiculous, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I know right. a lot of people are talking out about like, this is a step in the right direction, getting the story out there and getting people to feel comfortable speaking out about it. But from what I can tell, nobody was comfortable here. And now it's just an uncomfortable mess. So uh, my personal opinion is this was this was a giant mess and it should have been avoided. Yeah. Yeah, agreed there. But um, 
Anyway, well, well, speaking of unfortunate and uncomfortable messes, so last week uh, we spoke about the the horrible news of of EA Studio Visceral closing down, and uh, sort of that was that that sort of I don't know spawned a whole lot of worry. I mean, there's been growing worry about the the decreasing. I don't know what I can't. I can't think of the way I want to describe this. I guess just uh, the lack of good single-player experiences being created. There definitely sure. are some notable ones out there that get created each year, but the frequency with which we see them seems to decrease every single year. And this was yet another sort of a, a nail in the coffin for single-player experiences when Visceral closed down because they were in charge of the the much-anticipated single-player Star Wars experience. Um, and had created Dead Space and some other notable games. And so this was really sad for a lot of people and, and a sad sign of the state of gaming, I think, for a lot of us as well. And anyway, so um, there, was a, there was an interview with uh, a gameplay, game, excuse me, gameplay designer named Manveer... God, is it really Manveer here? Manveer Hire? I'm not sure, but right, uh, it's one of those. He spent seven years working for EA uh, in the form of Bioware Montreal, and he's sort of speaking with uh, with Eurogamer about microtransactions, basically. And there are some ridiculously, uh, I guess, frustrating, maddening, um, but also eye-opening quotes from this guy, hmm. and. Like he actually straight up. First of all, he says what the probably the biggest quote is that he's seen people spend upwards of fifteen thousand dollars on Mass Effect multiplayer cards. Yeah. So I'm Ooh. sure that person is an outlier. That is right? so many sixty dollar games. Do you know? Do you have any idea how many sixty dollar games you could get for fifteen? Well, actually, I can tell you right now, Joe. I got a little calculator here. Let me. Uh, that is that is well, two hundred and fifty exactly. That is incredible. That's so many Mass Effects. You could have two hundred for all of it. Like you could that is put together a serious Steam library for two hundred and like with two hundred and fifty games. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and also Steam, by the way, always their sales and always a lot of indie games you could have for oh, fifteen thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, I mean, I want to go on one of those shopping sprees with fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, that time shopping spree. Give me. Five minutes with $15,000, and I will build you the Steam library that you can die with. Go on a, a, Steam, store, a Steam Store Blitz? Yes, exactly. Steam Store Blitz. That sounds great. So That yeah. actually sounds like a good game. That probably like is. There's game. probably a real thing. We will, we will look it up for you folks, by the way, and see if there's a Steam Store Blitz actually happening in the world. Anyway, $15,000. Right. Holy Tolody, so, that is a lot of cash to spend on Mass Effect cards. Right. So let me back up just a little bit, uh, just a step here. So... EA's executive vice president, Patrick Soderlund, uh, said in the wake of closing Visceral, he said, and this is a quote, it's become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we needed to pivot the design. And he's uh, he's he's talking about Star Wars, the new Star Wars game that they were supposedly working on. Um, anyway, he says, we are shifting the game to be a broader experience that allows more variety in player agency, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he's, he's basically explaining that there is a trend within EA towards open world experiences. And this gentleman that's being interviewed, Manveer here, Manveer Hire, I apologize for screwing it up. It's it's spelled H-E-I-R, so I don't know. But anyway, um, he is sort of explaining the root of this, or at least what he thinks the root of this is. And he's essentially saying that it's all a financial thing, which of course is what pretty much everybody has understood and expected for a long time. But uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting quote here. He says, you need to understand the amount of money that's at play with microtransactions. I'm not allowed to say the number, but I can tell you that when Mass Effect 3 multiplayer came out, those card packs we were selling, the amount of money we made just off of those card packs was so significant, that's the reason that Dragon Age got multiplayer. And that's the reason other EA products started getting multiplayer that hadn't really had them before, because we nailed it and brought in a ton of money. It's repeatable income versus one-time income. So, I mean, that kind of says it all, 
right there. And of course, now the new, you know, the new Bioware EA game is guess what? Anthem, which is another open world experience. So you can bet that they're, you know, going to use the same financial model for that. So I want yeah. I want to hear what you you think about this, Joe, because I think everybody kind of has feelings about this microtransaction thing. And and now that it seems like microtransactions are sort of intimately tied to the ever vanishing single player experience. Yeah. I think it's getting even more emotional for people. I feel the same concern, right? I love single player games. I love games that respect my time and respect my uh dignity right like games that ask for money in while i'm playing especially games that i've already paid for they come with a certain stank and that i just really can't stand and i've really experienced it in like shadow of war right that right that is a game that i've played recently and i'm not too hot on the game anyway but there's this tiny little angst on it it's not because the game is constantly asking for money or constantly trying to uh entice me to spend cash but i just know it's there and that by itself is just a little element that kills an experience for me so i absolutely agree with with the general consensus that this is sad to see that games are becoming money grubbing or they're becoming all multiplayer uh free to play fee to play what have you that whole rhetoric but there's always this devil on my shoulder that constantly says, I mean, would you say no, right? Would you say no to $15,000 from one consumer who spent an entrance fee of $60 and now is spending 15000 And I didn't know that was the number, right? But like before this kind of story came out, I was thinking, oh, you know, this is this is bad and I want single player and blah, blah, blah. But really I, I can hardly blame someone for making the option available, right? If, if people are going to spend money, then companies are going to want to make it available to them. And now seeing that figure 15,000 from one person, this is probably an anomaly, right? This probably doesn't happen all the time, but like, I'm sure it's not that far off. Like I, I'm thinking that means that there is a, good chance that each game that is popular and has microtransactions available to it uh, that give you a valuable return, maybe, will probably see a 5% user base spending exuberant amounts of cash like that, right? That If that option is there, people are going to spend money on it. And if people are going to spend money on it, a small percent is going to spend a gargantuan amount of money, like 15 grand on it. Well, but I, I think the real uh, the real payday, so to speak, is not in the, the outliers that spend these gigantic piles of money, but the, the real payday is in figuring out what the average user spends. So, you know, if... if if the average user buys the $60 game and they find out that, I don't know, 50% of the people, maybe 25% of the people, or maybe it's more, maybe it's 75% of the people that purchase the game spend, uh, you know, an average of uh, an additional 15 or 20 or $30 or something, you know, you do the math on that. Of course. You know, yeah. multiply that by a couple million people versus one or two outliers of a few thousand dollars, and you're you're talking piles and piles of cash now that that is definitely yeah that's the gangbuster cash grab right that is if if you're especially if your title is a hit right sells a hundred it sells excuse me it sells a million units or two million three million right something like that then that is an extreme flow of cash that's coming your way if you have people also spending money within the game say 50 percent 20 percent 40 percent of that uh, player base, if not more. But right. if your game isn't even a success, right, then you can still have a shot at get, seeing a return for those people who just inexplicably love this game and want to spend a lot of money on it. Right, like it's right. just this ultimate payout that, that people are just going to keep funneling money into the game they've already paid for. So I, you know, it. I don't like the idea of loot boxes. I don't like the idea of uh, addiction preying systems but i mean you gotta look at that check and be like shit that's a lot of money that is uh that it's hard to pass up in today's well, day and age when they're spending and, and this is upwards why, 100 million dollars right 
this is why with, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, the, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 beta closed down. It, it was up for a few days and it closed down. And um, and then, you know, everyone got all heated about the, the microtransactions for the uh, star cards and things like that. And EA put out a statement sort of trying to reassure people and saying that they would look into it and, and think about restructuring things. And But, you know, it, it, it amounted to, as, thing, as these things usually do, it amounted to PR speak. And I will not believe when you when you look at quotes like this from from this guy who worked for BioWare Montreal, which is a, a part of EA, I will not believe for a single second anyone who tells me that Battlefront 2 is not going to be a pay-to-win game. It is absolutely going to be a pay-to-win game because that's precisely how EA wants it and that's how they're going to make a pile of money off of it. I don't... I don't think they're only going to be selling, you know, the sort of trivial aesthetic items like, uh, let's say, um, Overwatch does, for example, where you can buy outfits and things like that. I don't I don't think that's going to be the case because Battlefront is going to be a gigantic hit. It's It's going to be phenomenal in terms of its sales, I'm sure. And there's no way they're going to abandon microtransactions for that thing. And, and, and there's also no way that the microtransactions aren't going to directly affect your ability to compete in multiplayer. I, I just don't, there's, there's too much money on the line. It's like you said, EA knows the size of those checks. They've seen them. They're well aware of it. The model is strong and successful and it has been for many years. There's no way they're not doing it. Well, I don't know what the so, system was for mass effect, uh, three, right? This card system that Manveer is uh, referencing. Uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, if it was a loot box system, right? A randomized, uh, reward system that uh, preys on people getting addicted to the high you get from opening one of those packs, then yeah, I am not for that. If it is a system that is pay to win in a multiplayer uh, environment wherein people who pay more money are going to perform better in the game, then yeah, I'm not for that. However, like these systems are the problem. The actual uh, conceit of spending money within a game might not necessarily be the problem. I mean, EA probably is just doing it the wrong way. If that, if this is what's happening, if Mass Effect is a loot box system, though, then that's obviously where they're going to see it because they're seeing something like, oh, we have millions of people paying five dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, and then there's this, there's this five percent crew here that pays fifteen thousand dollars for this game, right? Like that is crazy and they're not going to pass that up but it's unfortunate that they're using a system that is um like that we've covered over and over that that loot box system that we don't like but the fact is there must i think there must be a way to do this right like we were going to talk about a little bit about rockstar north because uh they there was a well rockstar there was a story that came out from game informer a little interview with uh the director of uh, Rockstar and GTA, and they were discussing uh, Rockstar's single-player content, uh, specifically the single-player expansions that never came out, right? And uh, basically, the lead said that eventually we saw that there wasn't enough time and there wasn't enough resources uh, to do single-player content, but we are still a single-player company. And that's wild that this company that makes, that is now the model of multiplayer games as a service content is still a company that sees themselves at least ostensibly as a single player driven company. And that is something that I think EA will lose sight of, or it looks like from the narrative that's being plotted out here, it looks like EA has forgotten that, right? That single player content is still very valuable. I mean, that's what put rockstar on the map and that's what puts rockstar at the forefront of everyone's mind. While everyone's still playing this multiplayer game, which is great, by the way, uh, they Rockstar is known for putting out GTA V, the story, and GTA IV, and Red Dead Redemption. And these are the games that people love, and these are the games that they love to create and spend all of their resources and their time and their effort and their passion on. So it's unfortunate to see a company like EA uh, lend towards systems like loot crates and stuff. I, but I don't think that EA needs to stop being a money-grubbing 
not money grabbing, just it stops needs to stop looking for ways to gain more cash from their consumers. Cause I mean, there's money to be gained and I can hardly blame them for that. But yeah, I do agree. There's, there's gotta be a better option than uh, this star card system. If it is like you said, a pay to win service that that would be unfortunate. Yeah. I, I just don't at this point, I just don't, maybe I'm just too cynical, but I, I don't, I just, I mean, I didn't even like the star card system before, like in the first game, I just thought it was, I just didn't think it was a very good system for for outfitting your character when you went into a multiplayer match. It was just kind of a, a little limiting and a little annoying. Um, and, and actually a little bit confusing at first, too. I mean, it just makes so much more sense to actually have, you know, just like gear. Like, you can take a sidearm, you can take a main weapon, you can take grenades or whatever. You know, kind of the standard multiplayer fair but the star card thing for whatever reason just kind of confused me I, maybe it sounds stupid but um and now when you throw the money into it now no, that's that's fair right silly. like if like, it's if it's confusing and obtuse then that's just annoying by itself right like i had a similar complaint about star shadow of war and that had nothing to do with spending my cash it was just extremely confusing and a lot of different menus and stuff and so that's and unpleasing I, by itself. And then throw yeah, money into the equation, that's terrible. And I never liked how uh, they did the, the vehicles in, the, in the, the previous Battlefront as well. I didn't like that they were sort of in these little power-ups or, you know, to become a Jedi were in these little, these little sort of hovering blue things that it, it, basically what happened, what would then happen in each of these matches is it was a sprint from the very beginning of the match to get to these places where everyone knew the little vehicle power-ups would be or the Jedi power-ups would be. And sure, if you yeah. didn't get it, well, then you were just a, you know, a regular, you know, a grunt running around and you get your face blown off. But, you know, the people who get in the X-Wing or the AT-AT or, you know, become Luke or Vader or something, they get all the kills. And and then that, that same dynamic would happen throughout the matches. People would be sprinting to, to get to these areas to see if that power-up was active yet. And... Um, I just never liked that. The the very like the original original Battlefront was so well done, and it was just so easy and fun to play, and it was it was simple but well done. I I just and and all I feel like so many of the changes they did to the the multiplayer structure of Battlefront when Dice started producing it, it just it just did not work. Yeah. Just, and it still doesn't work. But there seems to be anyway. a concern for fairness, you know, like a fairness in G in uh in Battlefront specifically, like being able to like I remember feeling that way about the power ups and like having to, you know, perform well in order to get certain things, but specifically to find those little spots where they spawned, right? You had to kind of camp out. And that's not really fun or interesting or especially fair, especially if you're at a disadvantage by not knowing where they are and you just spawn in a spot that's not uh, close enough. So it's just not very fair. And then this system, which is pay to win, which we're assuming it's pay to win, that's not very fair either. That's actually extremely unfair because people are well, at an absolute dis uh, disadvantage if they don't have the cash to spend and they don't want to spend that cash on a video right. game. So... I, and there's there yeah. was there was a problem like with the first one too. Even even without the whole star cards thing, the balancing was just wild and all over the place. Because I don't think I've ever played an online game like shooter or non-shooter where each match so consistently had one player far above everyone else. Oh yeah, like. Every damn match, there'd be someone with forty-five kills, two deaths. I, I even saw. 90 some kills and like four deaths or two deaths even i mean and it would happen i'm not kidding every single match there was one player maybe one player per side or maybe just one player per map that just had vastly inflated amounts of kills and almost no deaths in comparison to everyone else and it was just they just knew how to work the system they knew when to get the power-ups where they were how to get the jedi this that and the other it was well it this, also it also could have been that they were just vastly more overpowered than everyone else because they had been playing the game more. Like, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but like the battlefront system in the first game was you, uh, unlocked guns like loadout guns and, and, uh, different classes 
by playing more of the game. So the more you played, the more stuff you unlocked, and then you could right. get like a sniper. And once you got the sniper gun, like the marksman's rifle, you were set. And then you could destroy all the plebes that were spawning in the same game as you that have only played like two hours of the game, right? So that's, yeah, the whole thing was very unbalanced. Yeah, that's not exactly fair either. So there's a problem of fairness, I think, generally. And uh, while fairness seems like something that's uh, childish to complain about, it's something that we can complain about in video games because that's something we, that's like some of that uh, escapism that we can find, right? Life's not fair. Life doesn't throw you a chance when you need it the most. And like life is just can be random like that, but video games can be fair. And that's why it's a great escape, you know, and Battlefront was not fair and so and now it's looking like battlefront 2 might have similar fairness issues so yeah 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 it's unfortunate yeah i you know i wish dice would go back to i don't know if you ever played it did you ever play um oh what the hell was it called battlefield bad company uh i might have played it the one time like when it was uh when it was popular, but it was ages and ages ago, and I well, didn't have a PC, so it was there. Uh, there's definitely still a following for for that and Bad Company too, and there's still a lot of people out there who want number three, which Dice has kind of promised here, or there, sort of vaguely over the last couple of years. They've kind of talked about it a little bit, but nothing very official. Um, but anyway, in Bad Company One, so the first one, which was a phenomenal, phenomenal multiplayer shooter, incredible game, uh, probably one of my favorite of all time, actually. The system for unlocking, I thought, was genius. You would you would level up like you do in in most multiplayer shooters, you know, with a certain amount of experience, and when you got to that new level, you'd get a, an unlock point, and you could unlock any gun that you wanted to within any class with that one point. Didn't matter how good or bad it was. It was all about your play style. So if you were like level two, you could unlock a really, really good sniper rifle because you're good at sniping and you weren't interested in the other shit and you didn't want to spend 30 hours to get the sniper rifle that you wanted. You spent, you know, a, an hour or two and you've got the gun you wanted and things were well balanced enough that that never made anything... It never, it never adversely affected the game. You had low-level people and high-level people using equipment that was all quite well-balanced all the time, and it was still very approachable for new people. So I really wish they would go back to that system. I thought that was phenomenal. That sounds definitely fair. I've generally grown apart from any multiplayer games that require unlocking stuff and grind your way to having the stuff that you want even if it's just like unlocking one thing like it's it, i just would rather the even playing field arena based competitive games like yeah like say, PUBG, yeah like PUBG or overwatch uh like hearthstone now i've started to really resent because it used to be a game that even though it was grindy it was technically a free-to-play game and you could find your way through unlocking quests and packs and stuff and it was a free-to-play game so there was that nature of it and i used to like card games but now i've started to resent it because hearthstone is increasingly more impossible to play without paying lots of money with each expansion to have the packs that you the decks that you want to play with so yeah. it's those kind of games that i'm now just growing away from like i like even destiny uh, i loved destiny too but now i'm just not interested in the multiplayer anymore because I have to work towards certain guns, and I ha I can't go in with the stuff I have. I have to have the right meta gun, and you have to grind to get there. And while that's fine for like the PVE stuff, because I could still play well in, in that space, even if I don't have the gun that I really want, uh, competitive stuff, it just feels unbalanced and not very fun. And uh, whereas PUBG, like if I win at PUBG, I feel like I absolutely am i was better and played better than a good amount of the people that i beat because you know i i won and they they had the same advantages as me though it is sort of randomized with map placement and stuff you have everything at your disposal technically and overwatch is yeah the but same. i mean luck luck is always a factor right it's a factor in, in everything so that's right. not really unfair Sure. Yeah, I agree. So, and that's all it is. The, ran the randomness is just luck, you know, like where you, I mean, you sure you pick on the map where you land, but you don't know <laughs> what the hell is going to be there. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all, it's all just luck and, and then skill. And that's, what's great about, like you said, like games like PUBG. Um, yeah. I'm, 
I'm having a similar issue with with uh, Hearthstone and now also World of Warships, which is a game that I've been playing for quite a while. Yeah, we haven't had game. a World um, of Warships update in a while. Well, it, so it goes. Your ships go up to tier ten. Uh, so there's ten, like ten levels essentially of ships. Ten being the best and one being the worst. And I've finally, I, I haven't really paid. I think, what did I pay? I think I paid a couple dollars quite a few months ago. For something I don't recall what it was um, I think it, it wasn't anything very significant and it didn't get me a new ship I can't re- recall what it was but it was less than 10 bucks and I just kind of figured you know what I played this game a lot I like it they deserve $10 at this point because I've played the crap out of this game and I don't feel bad about $10 but now I've I've uh, I hit tier nine a while ago, and I finally got to the point where I had enough experience to unlock tier ten. But the thing with this game is, you have to unlock a ship, but then you also have to have the money to buy it. And that yep. I found out now is where they really get you, because tier one through nine that's achievable by earning money in matches and by selling your previous chi- uh, your previous ships to help fund the purchase of the next one. I was able to do that all without paying any money. Like I said, that small amount that I used was for something else. I think it was moving a commander. That's what sure. it was. But now there's a and, little money wall. But now there is a massive money wall between tier 9 and tier 10, and to the tune of about $35. I'm not oh, kidding wow. you. I worked it out, and I, I, I haven't been able to do it. I've, been qual- I've, like, I've had tier 10 unlocked now for like three weeks, and I just cannot bring myself to pay $35 for one stupid fucking ship. Ships, so. ships should be only about $0.35 cents and definitely not $35, <laughs> Mike. I agree. No, that's a similar. That sounds a lot like uh, the PUBG system and the uh, Counter-Strike system. Like you get crates, but then you earn those in the game, but you have to unlock them with keys, which you can only get by, by spending money. I am here with our lead editor of Gaming Trends, Kay Purcell. Kay, how are you today? I'm doing good. Happy to be back. Excellent. We were having you on to discuss specifically Animal Crossing. Nintendo finally launched a Nintendo Direct, a little live stream detailing their next Animal Crossing mobile game. And uh, you and I are two of the more aficionados of uh nintendo things i think though more you're you're on like the pokemon bandwagon you're on the animal cross Mm crossing bandwagon you're on those things right animal crossing is one of my favorite topics so i'm excited awesome so uh, you from what i can gather you are excited about this game i was uh impressed by what i saw it was definitely a lot of what i expected from the game uh from an animal crossing on phones but it looked pretty good and it looked uh a lot like a lot of fun to be honest uh definitely looks like a free-to-play game as well uh what are your yeah. feelings on the game so far uh you know i i am a as much as i love nintendo i am always afraid they're going to ruin something that i love so uh i went in this is being a very like, nintendo thing to do yeah isn't it yeah uh so i kind of went in with like wow i hope it's not just like happy home interior which don't get me wrong that was fun. Sure. I didn't buy it, but I played it. It was fun. It wasn't for me. Mm. You know, I was afraid it was going to be so stripped down that it was going to lose the Animal Crossing-ness of it. Mm. Uh, so I was so excited to see, you know, oh, you, you pick fruit off of trees. You meet villagers. You craft things. Like, uh, it, it feels, it really does feel like Animal Crossing light. It looks like it for sure. I was definitely impressed. It it looked it had it checked all the boxes that I expected from Animal Crossing on a phone, right? Uh, even some of the things that aren't necessarily negative, but the things that oh, it's going to be on a phone, so it's going to be free to play, and they're going to throw those uh, microtransactions at you and time buffers mm-hmm. or whatever it would be. But it a lot of cool things. Uh, you can visit other players 
uh, villages or not villages, actually campsites. Cause we'll mm-hmm. talk about that more, but you can, uh, of course build your own little site. You can customize everything that you own and you're doing little chores for your characters and for your, uh, in-game, uh, villagers and stuff. So it's all looks very animal crossing and it all looks yeah. pretty robust for being in a uh, phone game. So it looks good. And so far. for the first time in the Animal Crossing franchise, we have non-hidden heart meters as well as levels for your character. So yeah, that's what I was hearing. I'm not an Animal Crossing aficionado. I played New Leaf and liked it a lot, but I didn't play nearly as many hours as most people would. Uh, oh, I, I don't want to know how much time of I my only, life I, I only played a couple of dozen of uh, hours of it. This game, though, I think I would play more uh, because it's on yeah. the phone, actually. But mm-hmm. anyway, it's uh, I didn't know how characters relationships worked and this was immediately apparent uh so i didn't right. know if that was a new addition or something but it looked like much more clear than what i'd experienced well, and it's interesting to see because i have gotten to play the sims mobile game mm. and it's interesting to see sims translated into mobile and they're doing a lot of the same things there's a lot of really obvious level up meters there's a lot of obvious friendship meters and um slightly off topic but the big change with the sims mobile was if you know, Sims, you click and you tell them, go over here, and you wait, and you wait, yeah. and you hope they don't get lost on the screen. Sure, sure. Sims Mobile, they teleport to that spot. Oh, okay. So it's a little more so expeditious. Animal now, yeah. Crossing kept, like, so I don't know if you've watched any of the streams. Some people, it was out in the Australian uh, store. Mm-hmm. So a couple places have gotten and have released the first, like, 30 minutes of gameplay of it. And uh, you tap to go somewhere, but you can also, like, draw your, draw a wavy line. And your character will follow that wavy path. Oh, okay. I was wondering how that worked. I saw a couple of streams of gameplay, aside from the direct also. But, uh, I, yeah, it looked pretty smooth and pretty uh, easy the way we're, that people were getting around. It looked like people were just – I didn't see them actually playing. It was just a stream. But it looked like people were just virtual joystick, like, dragging uh, characters around. But, I mean, yeah. whatever it was, it looked, it looked good. The game looks pretty good, too. So that's great. It looks good. And everything seemed really intuitive. Like, I watched a couple different people play. And no one was like, how do I do this? Everyone's like, oh, that's how you do this. Cool. Yeah. So let's backtrack just a little bit. We'll talk about the concept of the game. Like we said, it is not exactly a village that you're maintaining and being a part of. It is now Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. So this is a you're managing and residing in a communal campsite, and it's all mm-hmm. campground based and oriented. Uh, but there are and- obviously the trees and like the fruits that you pick from them. But you're also instead of building your house, you're uh, customizing your trailer and like your camper. And you can build a loft on it, and you can customize it like any other area. And uh, it's all built around that, but it still very much seems to be that Animal Crossing community-based system. And um, since you're not incredibly familiar with New Leaf, it's a cute tie-in to the newest expansion they did was a campsite expansion. And you tap your Amiibos, and the characters from the Amiibos would show up in the campsite. Oh, okay. I see. So it's a cute tie-in to the main game. So campsites are not a new thing to Animal Crossing no. so far. Okay. No. They, this is just, it's always been a little part, like a very small part of your village. Um, I would say a nuisance part of your village. I didn't enjoy that part of that game. Oh, uh, okay. But I'm excited to have a campsite. Um, right now, it's a very limited cast of characters. I don't know if you went through the website obsessively like I did. No, I skipped that part so far. <laughs> So there's, I hate to call them NPCs because they're all NPCs, mm-hmm. but there's the NPCs that are like Tom Nook and K.K. Slider and like the characters that do things in, and have roles. Yeah. And then there's the villagers. Right. So the villagers. And even though the villagers are NPCs, there's only like six villagers, six non-NPCs listed on that site. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but there's a whole, like, they're all broken up by species, it looks like, and there's a bunch that are grayed out. So it looks like more are going to be coming. Okay. Um, I but all I, call- I have to say is, yeah. right now there's no Julian. And if there's not a magical unicorn in this game, I am rioting and I invite you all to join me. Well, okay. I, I will look, keep an eye out for the uh, unicorn. I remember vaguely there being a unicorn. The one guy I recognized and there were a couple were the raccoons. And yes. I, forget which one, I forget which one was constantly hounding me for my mortgage payments. Tom but Nook. that's the one. Tom yeah, Nook. it was that. Yeah, so that's the one I think I recognized right off. But it was, uh, 
it was definitely very Animal Crossing looking. Uh, if you're yeah. a super fan of the series, yeah, maybe there aren't as many characters uh, to be found yet. But I mean, it's still the actual mechanics are there. Uh, yeah, the core characters are there. We've got the Able Sisters. We have Kix. We have Timmy and Tommy and Isabel and... Um, the new, the three new penguins, they're adorable. I hope they resemble the penguins from Madagascar because that would be a great little nod. Penguins are in, well, they were in for a minute, but now I feel like people are back on to other things. Anyway, well, we got, let's talk a little bit now about more of the mechanics uh, uh, that we've seen. Uh, like we said before, there's customizing your uh, campsite and your camper, interior and exterior. And then there's uh, gathering resources and trading them with characters. And throughout the entire demo that they gave us through the direct, uh, there was a lot of uh, demonstrating currency exchanges and uh, exchanging goods for either likes from your characters, like the, you said that heart meter that was your friendship meter, or for actually getting services like them building something or you crafting something and then there is of course these uh currencies uh, and at the very top of the screen throughout the entire thing there were three little things there was your level there was the bells currency which is the i think the general animal crossing yep. currency right that little bag mm -hmm. of bells the and universal then, bells right and then at the center was a little green dollar sign with a leaf they called it a leaf ticket and those mm -hmm. very much are probably the microtransaction yep. currency yep. in there but while they were giving out this demo that was constantly in the demo but they eventually addressed it talked about leaf tickets and you do earn leaf tickets through things like running errands for characters or for exchanging found materials. So there are ways and to gain... And for leveling up. And for leveling up. So there are ways to gain these currencies that uh, we assume are going to, or at least I assume, are going to be uh, the microtransactional material. And it so far, obviously, I've only seen like half an hour of gameplay, but it looks like most every...